Lord, we just open our hearts to You now. Thank You, you're a God who speaks to us. And You want to speak to each and every one of us, wherever we are on the journey this morning. Thank You for the gift of Your inspired Word, Lord, that You've entrusted to us. And so, Lord, as we open it together now, we open our hearts to You. We pray this in Jesus' Name. Amen. Please be seated. Church, we are really blessed to have Pastor Matt coming to share God's Word. Matt leads our city church. Also, operations pastor here is a great blessing to us as a church. Could you make him feel really welcome as he comes to share God's Word with us? Uh, thanks, Nath, and uh, team for leading us this morning. And it's uh, lovely. It's lovely to be uh, together this morning and to be sharing with one another and to be encouraging one another, to be allowing our hearts to be strengthened, our, our faith uh, to be strengthened as we, as we dwell on on truth and as we seek to give ourselves uh, more and more to it uh, each day. And uh, after Easter, we're continuing this series that we, we've, we've been in for a long time now. It's probably one of our longest series that we've done uh, in the book of James. And uh, today we're going to land in James chapter 4. And so I just uh, invite you, uh, let's submit our hearts to God as we come to His Word today. So here we go, James chapter 4 verses uh, 1 to 12. Feel free to yeah, pull, pull out your Bibles if you want to, if you'd like to do that, uh, but it'll be on the screen as well. What causes fights and quarrels among you? James has just finished talking about wisdom and he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then. To God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? 
as I was reflecting on these uh, passages this week, I, I sort of thought to myself, there's not too much more that needs to be said than, than what's right there. It's, it's, uh, it's quite clear and uh, it speaks very plainly to us about our lives and uh, God, by His Holy Spirit, is doing that this morning. But, but it is good to share, to reflect, to dwell in these words for a, a period of time and to, to let them, uh, let Christ and and the Holy Spirit uh, apply them to our lives. I wanted to start this morning with an image uh, that I came across of what's called the Black Friday sales. I don't know whether you've heard of these sales. Uh, they're somewhat new, I think, but if you haven't heard of them, think kind of like Boxing Day sales. Is, is, I think it happens in November, the Black Friday sales. is pretty much a time when all the big retailers just put all their, their products on big discounts and, uh, and people just long for these Black Friday sales whenever they come. As you can see in that photo there, it's, it's like Boxing Day where everyone lines up and then they just charge into the store. And uh, I came across this photo, which I hope you can see there. And uh, I, I actually feel like that photo is, in it, is a, a parable, a symbol, a metaphor for our um, society today, for our culture today. It's, it's incredibly instructive, I think, about what's happening uh, in our society today. All these shoppers, they, they come to this sale and each individual has their eye on what it is that they want for themselves, the thing that they want. And so they run into the store at this particular point in time, whenever they open the doors and they run in and they're like, I am going to be the first to get this massive LG or Samsung smart TV. I'm going to get it. And uh, the thing is, there's, there's 500 or 1,000, however many people are there, there's 500 or 1,000 people all thinking the exact same thing. I am going to charge into this store and get the thing that I want for myself. I think this picture is, is a, a parable of our city and our culture and our society today. And the thing is, is that when everyone has their eye on the thing that they want for themselves, what inevitably happens? We see it right there in that photo, conflict. People run into each other with their eyes on the thing that they want and, and then quarrel and fighting occurs because we are focused and we are saying, I am going to get this for myself. And the other person, this person standing next to you, thinking the exact same thing, and we clash, conflict, quarreling, fighting occurs. This is what's happening in this passage here in James. It's happening in our society still today. And the thing, the irony of that photo, as I was looking at it, the, the thing that really struck me as ironic is look how jammed everyone is, is into this room. Look how close they are together, you know what I mean? If we're talking about relation, they're pretty close. You'd think they're pretty close. But I wanna tell you, as close as they are physically, they are miles apart from one another. See, physical proximity, physical union is not oneness, is not spiritual union. There can be uh, two Christians who love each other, who have the love of God in their hearts for one another. 
And those two individuals could be separated by kilometres, miles. They could be right around the other side of the world from each other. And I want to tell you, or even, even further than that, they, they could be set, they, the veil of death could be between those two individuals. Maybe you have a spouse here this morning who's passed away whom you loved. Two individuals with the love of God in their heart for one another, separated by kilometres, separated maybe even by the veil of death. And I want to tell you, they would be so much closer to each other than a husband and wife lying in the same bed who are conflicted. Physical union is not oneness. Love, spiritual union is oneness. And we all know this to be true. We've all experienced conflict. And we know that that what conflict is, is a, a barrier, a big concrete wall between us and another person. And, and if, if you've ever been in conflict, and of course we all have, you know that in that selfish moment, you feel a mile away from that other individual. You might be talking with them, you might be relating to them, you might be lying next to them in your bed, and they feel a, you feel a mile away from them. Because we're actually locked in that moment in the, in the prison of our own selfish hearts. Selfish desire, selfish ambition takes us inward and and creates an internal prison of of self. As we build these walls, these barriers, I think of a better brick wall that we build in these times when we have our eyes on our self being exalted. We all know what it's like to build these walls in our lives between other people, but they have, James is saying, these walls have their foundation in something. The foundation of these walls is selfish desires, a desire for me and and what I want. In fact, James says at chapter one, he says at the start of the book, he says, uh, you are carried away by, you get carried away by your lust and as you're carried away by lust, by selfish desire, that gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. The foundation of these walls that we build between us and other individuals is, what, is, is us wanting something for ourselves. And uh, James is, is highlighting that in this moment. But it's helpful for us to think about the, the way that this happens in our lives today. Conflict in marriage. You know what conflict in marriage is often fueled by? It's fueled by one spouse saying, I, or, or both spouses saying, I want to get the higher ground here. I want to be able to, to say, I told you so. One spouse saying, well, this is what I want. So conflict and, and quarreling occurs in families, sibling rivalry. Often, often about inheritance money. Across families, uh, if, if you're a parent, I think you'll know this uh, dynamic fairly, fairly clearly in your own heart where as a parent, you've got your family and then you look out across at another family and you say, well, well um, maybe I haven't got what they've got and, and I want that. I, I need to keep up with the Joneses. I need to make sure that, we're, that we've got what we need, you know what I mean? As a family, that we've got it. 
If you're a, a work in a business here uh, this morning, if you're, you're an employee in a, in a workplace, in an organisation, conflict, you know what conflict in organisations are fueled by? It's fueled by individuals saying, I wanna come out on top. Businesses saying, my business needs to come out on top in this moment, financially or, 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 or from, a, from a power dynamic. In the academy, if you're, if you're an academic here this morning, it's, it's academics wanting to say, I need to have the recognition of my work for myself. I need to have the status of being at the top of my field, of, of being cutting edge. Even amongst sects of the church, uh, this, is, this is usually how conflict occurs in a church. It's rooted in individuals saying, what we, our opinion, what we think is right, and, and we, we are going to make sure we get that to be right, that that, that, that prevails. It's selfish desire bearing the fruit of conflict. We're seeing it, in fact, played out on a grand scale at the moment, in, in, on the global scale. One man, I know there's lots of factors in this, but there's at least one man who, who has selfish ambition, who's saying, I have a desire to do this particular thing and I'm going to get it. And I want to I speak just briefly, if you're in a position of influence in any way, I mean, if you're a parent, everyone has influence, but if, if your influence is sizable, if you, maybe you're a, 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 you lead an organisation or you, you lead a, a significant number of people, I want to say influence exacerbates our heart. And so we, the more responsibility, the more influence, the more important that our heart is right. Look at this one man whose heart is twisted up with selfish desire and look at the chaos that that is creating in our world right at this very moment. Conflict is, is it doesn't just happen. It has its foundation in, in individuals saying, I want this particular, I want self to be exalted. And when the conflict doesn't often go our way, what we end up doing is we slander. We say, we say, oh, we, we, we walk away from the relationship and we generally, under the surface of our own heart or in our own mind, we slander that person. We say, oh, this, this and this, you know, they're, they're silly, look how terrible they are, all this sort of thing. We're against them, we slander them. That's what James says in verses 11 and 12. Don't slander one another. Don't be against each other. I remember one of the, one of the things... Um, you know, going, going from a, maybe a, a big, heavy topic like the global scale down to, to my little family. One of the things that our siblings maybe had a little bit of rivalry over when we were, uh, when we were younger was there was four. So I've got an older sister, a younger sister, and a younger brother. So there was four of us, and we had a seven-seater car, I think. I can't quite remember how many seats were in this car. Anyway, there was the good seats, and then there was the seats in the back. You know what I mean? And, uh, and of course you're like, I need the good seats. I am going to get the good seats over, over my siblings. And so often, you know, you do the whole like, um, oh, bags that seat. I don't know whether you did that when you were a kid, but, you know, bags, bags this particular seat. And so you'd, but you'd have to be at the car. You'd have to be touching the car to be able to bags it and all this sort of crazy stuff. It's all, you know, it's all, it's all fueled by selfish wants. And, uh, and, and the thing is in this passage is that um, this selfish desire, it's, it's very 
subtly, not only now worldly, it's making its way into their, their, their spiritual life in the church. James is actually saying, not only are you pursuing the exaltation of self, you're now using prayer to do that. You're asking God to help satisfy your selfish wants and desires. And so I want to ask you a question, you know, imagine if I went to my dad, you know, we, we were going to be going somewhere and I knew that. And so I thought we're going to be getting in the car and I want the best seat. Imagine if I went to my dad, you know, 10 minutes before we went and I said, dad, you need to give me the best seat today. Um, I know my siblings are there, but I want it. And, and I need the best seat. You need to give me the middle seat. <laughs> now, if my dad was doing his job, was honouring God as a parent, you know what he'd say? You're going to sit in the back seat today, son. <laughs> That's what he should say. But, but this, is, this is what's happening in this place is that the, these, these Christians are now involving God, using God to service what their, their self-exaltation. I was speaking with a student, a uni student on Monday night. He's an international student. And uh, he, he's from a country that probably doesn't have a lot of Christianity, but it has some Christianity. So I was sharing the fact that I was a pastor. We were at, at the church there that we were sharing on Monday night. And we eventually started talking about spiritual matters. And uh, I was talking to him about his life. And I, I, said, to, I said to him, I said, mate, like, um, it's, isn't it an interesting thing that we had no choice in being born? Have you ever thought about that? We, we didn't actually have a say. We have a say about a lot of things that we do in our lives. But one thing we did not have a say on is that we would be here in the world, born, existing. You had no say in that. So I said to him, I like, I've realised this. I, I had realised this in my life and I sort of thought, well, if I didn't choose to be here, that means someone else chose that I would be here. And so I should probably ask them about the reason why I'm here. <laughs> Rather than, rather than trying to make it up myself, because I didn't even choose it. It just sort of seems logical to me to ask the person who brought me here why I'm here in the first place. And he said, no, I hear you in that. He actually said, I've asked those questions of, of, of life, of, of the world. He said, I've asked the questions what I'm doing here. But he said, I couldn't find an answer. And so he said, all I was really left with was just to pursue whatever I wanted. And so that's now how I live. He said, whatever my heart really wants, I just go after it and I, and I try and get it. And I was sort of talking to him and, I, and you know, God's, God's got so much empathy and, and gentleness to, towards a man in that situation who really hasn't come into contact with the truth of who Jesus is. But... But I'd, I'd also had another conversation on that night with, with a, uh, a man who was effectively like a militant atheist. Sadly, he's defected from faith and he's now very against what he understands God to be. And I was sort of uh, thinking about this first student, reflecting on, on the conversation I had with him. I was sort of, you know, I think he would rightly maybe be able to say, I'm not against God. You know, if you asked him, he, he probably wouldn't say, no, I don't hate God. Like, I'm just living... I'm just living with what's in front of me. I'm just going after what my heart desires. But James says, James says, even though we can easily think that, he says friendship with the world is actually enmity towards God. 
not only does this, this desire to exalt ourselves build a wall between other people and, and, and create a prison for ourselves where we're cut off, in fact, we build a wall towards God. We're the ones building this besser brick wall towards, towards God and, and, and it has the same foundations. It's founded in us wanting to, to exalt ourselves. And, and uh, God says, God says that he, he gives grace. And he says, because I am a God of grace, I am opposed to the proud. I'm opposed to the person who's building that wall. And the reason why he's opposed to us in, in building that wall is because as we build that wall, we cut ourselves off from him, him who is life. We're walled into ourself where there's no life. And, and so God says, out of love, I am opposed to that person. It's a loving thing for God to oppose those who are proud. It's a, it's a grace-filled thing because God says, I have not created you to be walled up in the prison of your own heart. That verse there, James says, he says, God jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us. I, I, I shared with that student or, or not in terms like this, but I, I tried to speak about the fact that God has brought you into this world that you might be filled with the spirit of a man named Jesus Christ. And so when we, when we move in a, in a way which is contrary to who Jesus is, God says, I'm going to oppose you in that moment so that you might turn, so that you might repent. What relation does light have with darkness? There is no relation. What relation does us living selfishly to exalt ourselves have with Jesus Christ? No relation. As we do that, we cut ourselves off from this man, Jesus Christ, who is the foundation of all things and who's, in whose image we have been created. Look at Jesus. He came into the world, his father's world, all things had been created through him. He came into this world and, and we would think in our heads, therefore he can say, I own it all. And so I, I am gonna take whatever I want. Did you ever see Jesus do that? Tell me one time when Jesus said to anyone, this is mine and you can't have it. This is mine, not yours. Jesus was completely humble. He trusted the Father entirely and he said, I am not taking anything. You see the spirit of lust, of self-desire that James is talking about here. He says it in fact in verse two, he says, you desire, but do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. It's taking, it's, it's a desire to say, oh, I'm gonna get this for myself. Jesus is not like that. It is in, that is in complete contradiction to who he is. This man is completely gentle. And I, I want us really, this is the point, this is the part of the message that I, I want you to, to hear this morning. I want us to fix our eyes on this man, Jesus. He, he never took anything for himself. He never exalted himself. Complete humility. He said, I will only have what the Father gives to me. He's out in the, he's out in the wilderness, in the desert. 
and he's hungering. And the devil comes to him and tempts him and says, hey, this, there's a stone here. Why don't you turn that into bread? You're the son of God. You can do what you want. You have a right. You have a right to eat food. This is your world. Turn, turn that stone into bread. Take some food. You're hungry. What does Jesus say? He says, I, I don't take anything. I, I receive what the Father gives to me because I'm not here to exalt myself. I'm not here to take what I want. So he says, away from me, devil. Man does, not live by bread, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the Father's mouth, every, every receipt from the Father, that is how Jesus lived. He, he, he shared, I was reading something this week, did Jesus ever put anything in his pocket? He said, he said, the father's a good father. He will care for me. He will, he will provide for me what I need. I don't need to take selfishly to exalt myself. I'm not here to exalt myself. The, the rich young ruler says to Jesus, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, good te- why do you call me good? There's one alone who's good, the father. I'm not here to exalt myself. This is the attitude of the man, Jesus. This is the attitude of him who is truth who is life, completely humble before the Father. Nothing that he would say, this is my own. And in fact, last week we celebrated the fact that Jesus did not even consider his own life his own. He said, here is my, my body given for you. Here is my blood poured out for you. I'm not, I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm not hoarding it. I'm not, I'm not retaining it. Isaiah 53, 12 says that He poured out His soul, His very life unto death for the sake of transgressors. This is who Jesus is. Let us put our eyes on Him this morning. In our selfish state, we want happiness. We, we want happiness. And uh, in fact, we're created for joy. We are created for joy. But the first thing with Jesus is truth. The first thing is truth. And, and the byproduct of truth is happiness, is joy. With us, it's often the other way around. We say, we need to, to get joy. We need to get happiness. And this is the way I'll do it. Jesus says, submit yourself to truth. Holiness is what you need. So every time we live in a way according to self, it's a contradiction to the Spirit of Christ in us. It, it quenches His Spirit in us. And in fact, um, all of this is egged on by the devil, James says. He says there's, there's actually a spirit who's, who's leading you to this selfishness, to this exaltation of self. There's... Uh, you know, as, as we think about the conflict that we, we build in our lives because of the selfishness, there's one way that we can think that unity will come about, but it's actually a false unity. And, and what tends to happen when we conflict is we say, well, you're going after what you want, I'm going after what I want. It's causing conflict like we saw in that photo at the start. And so it's better for us to just stay separate. And, uh, and we drift apart. And you see this in marriages and in families very commonly today in our society. And it's sort of like, well, we're conflicting. I think it's better if we just, if we just part our ways. This is actually a false trajectory for unity. 
C.S. Lewis has written a book called The Great Divorce and in this book he, he provides an imaginative, a, a fictional sketch of what the afterlife might be, might be like. He's very, he's very keen to say in his book this is not a, a, a biblical interpretation of anything, this is, this is me thinking, so don't take it as, as coming from the Bible. But uh, at, in, in the second chapter of this book, he, he is talking and, and gives a description of what he envisions hell to be like. And he, C.S. Lewis, is the narrator, effectively. He's, he's the, it's a first-person book. And he's speaking with someone who's come from hell. And that particular man is explaining to C.S. Lewis what's it like. And C.S. Lewis has this sort of he, a bird's-eye view of hell. And he notices that all these houses where everyone is living are so far apart. And he says to the guy, what's the, what's the deal with all these streets? Just one house and then, and then just acres of land and then another house. And, and um, the guy says, oh, well, what happens is, is when people arrive here in hell, they quarrel and they conflict. And so they just pack up and they move apart from one another. And that's been happening over years and years and years. And so now they're so far, they're, they're millions of kilometres away. We can actually sometimes do this in our lives. We, when conflict happens, we think what we need to do is we just need to create a bit of distance, a bit of safety so we don't knock up against each other. This is false unity. It's actually fake unity. We think it is because it seems very civil. There's no conflict on the surface, but we're not one. There's no union. That's the false route to unity. True unity will come when there is a commonality of, of object of desire. The, the world, the sinful world, is living each individual for their own desire to exalt themselves by pursuing that desire. The Christian, the church, as, as, as even two individuals say, no, I'm going to humble myself before God and begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I am going to live in obedience to this man, Jesus. My life is no longer going to be about exalting myself, but exalting Him. Then there will be true unity, even among two individuals, a marriage with Jesus at the centre, a church with Jesus at the centre. Not, not as a tag, we say Jesus at the centre, truly individuals in the church seeking Jesus and saying, he is my ambition to exalt him. There will be unity and there'll be oneness. Love will be present. And this is what James is, is encouraging the believers in, in this moment. He says, you need to humble yourselves before the living God. You need to stop living to exalt yourself and chasing after your own desires and selfish pleasures and you need to humble yourself before God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Repent and say, this is the wrong direction. It leads to conflict. It, it leads to chaos. James 3.16 says, where there is selfish ambition, there is, there is disorder in every kind of evil. And we know this to be true. He's encouraging them. He's saying, please come and humble yourselves before the living God. And so I wanna ask us this morning, is there conflict in our lives that, is, that has a foundation in us seeking to pursue what we want, what we think will bring us life, that will exalt ourselves? Jesus says to us this morning, humble yourself. 
take a decision to begin exalting me rather than exalting yourself. I want to be clear, this is not stoicism. This is not the rejection of all things. I want to quickly read this quote. Uh, As we humble ourselves, we're not submitting ourselves to rejection, to, to nihilism, deliberately going against natural appetites. We'd die from hunger very quickly if we did that. This is not what this is. I want to read this quote. It says, to enjoy heartily and thankfully, might come up on the screen, to enjoy heartily and thankfully and to do cheerfully without when God wills we should is the way to live in regard to things. Do you hear that? To enjoy heartily and thankfully when God wills and then also to do cheerfully without when God wills is the way to live in regard to things. This is the key statement. We are no more to think, what should I like to do? But rather, what would the living one have me do? This is what humility means. This is humility to say, not no longer to be going through our days saying, what is it that I would like to do or our years, our, our, you know, these mega goals that we have, what would I like to do to turn and to say, no, what would the living one, this man, Jesus, have me do? And there's grace. As we make that decision, I wanna tell you that wall of enmity that we've built up between other individuals, that wall of enmity that we've built up towards God, you know what'll happen? It'll come smashing down like the Berlin Wall. And you will, there will be intimacy in your relationships with other individuals and you will say, wow, God, I love you. I worship you. You are great. You are mighty because we won't be cut off from Christ. The love of Christ, His Spirit will come into our lives. Acts 5.32, the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey, who look at Jesus and say, I am going to exalt Him. I am going to worship Him and give myself to Him. So as we close this morning, we're gonna sing a song. And uh, I think the team's gonna come out. And the picture, God God gave me this picture two weeks ago when I was driving home from somewhere and I was listening to uh, a, a, um, a play about the life of Jesus. And this, this picture that I wanna give to you, and our imaginations are a gift from God. Did you know that? The, the, even our ability to think conceptually and imagine things is a gift from God. He created us. And so I wanna invite us to use that here this morning. This is a picture that God has given me in my imagination, but I wanna pass it on and and see if you'd like to use it in your imagination this morning so that your heart might be lifted to Jesus Christ. The picture is this, imagine a room, something like this. This would be fine if you wanna use this in your imagination, this particular room. And in this room, there's a throng, there's a crowd of people, big crowd of people. And in the middle, there's a little hill. It's very, it's not very high. It's, it's about lower than this stage. And all of the people are in a circle around this little hill. And, uh, and you've just arrived. You've been somewhere else, but you've, you've heard about this and you quickly, you've, you've charged over, you've driven your car over and you've reefed open the door and you've just arrived onto this moment. And your back's to the door, you know what I mean? Like you've just arrived, you're almost out of breath and, you'll, and you see this moment. And as you arrive in the middle onto this small hill, the man Jesus Christ walks. Whether you wanna see Him as, as, as His 
His earthly body when He walks amongst us, amongst us or, or His resurrected glorious self, that's up to you. I'll leave that to your imagination. Jesus walks up onto this little hill and, and, and in that moment, there's, there's a silence over the crowd, a silence. They're all looking in on, on this man, this moment with an expectation, with an anticipation. And as He walks up, it's silent. Everyone raises their hands. And you know in that moment, this this is the man they've all come to see. (laughs) They're keen as mustard. They're here in the room because they wanna see this man. You've just arrived and, and, but you're so far from the front. You know what I mean? Like you never think 50, 60 metres from, from where Jesus is standing on this hill. And, and you're kind of like, oh, you're a, bit, you're a bit bummed that you can't get to where Jesus is. But what the, the heart that I want you to have as you imagine this is, I'm just glad to be in the room. I'm just glad to be able to see Him, even if it's from a distance. There's a Psalm that says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell right in the centre of the tents of the wicked. And so you're right at the very back, but it doesn't matter. And as the worship begins to rise, Jesus isn't lapping it up, you know, like a, like a prideful man. He's just standing there in all His splendour, His humble splendour. And the worship begins to rise and, and your heart is, you know what, I'm a long way from the action, but I don't care, I'm in the room. And I wanna look at Him and I'm gonna worship Him and I'm not gonna get close to Him, it doesn't matter, that's okay because I'm in the room and I can see Him. And He's the truth. This is not about me. This is not about exalting me. And as you worship Him, because we're gonna do that, right? Jesus is alive. This is an imagination, but I think we're getting closer to the true reality of how things are than a lot of the things that we live, we're gonna live this week in the world. This This is very close to what the reality of all of the universe is. We're gonna worship Him in a moment. And as you picture yourself in that state, you're just saying, I'm just happy to be in the room. I'm just happy to see Him. In that moment, I want you to think about how small those selfish ambitions and pleasures are that you've been chasing after. Think about how petty and, and, and think, oh, why would I ever do that? Why would I ever try and exalt myself when I can worship this man, when I can look upon him? When I can just be in the room and say, he doesn't need to come and talk to me. I just wanna look at him. Think of how small those things are. And in that moment, I want us to, I actually want us to mourn. I want us to mourn. We should mourn because so often we live chasing these petty things when Jesus is standing right in the centre and He's the man that we should be exalting. He's the man in whom all truth and glory and honour and worth is because it comes, He said, it comes not from me, but from my Father. So this is the image, this is the invitation this morning that Jesus gives for us to repent. And then as you've mourned, you worship. You say, yes, Jesus, you are worthy to receive all honour, all glory, all praise, whatever your heart has, even if it's only a small amount of knowing His worth this morning, you shower that worth upon Him and you say, you are worthy, Jesus. He is. He's given Himself for, for us, held nothing back. This is how great He is. So let's stand together and we're gonna sing this song. The team's gonna lead us and let's enter into this space of our imagination. Maybe it's actually reality here this morning. I'm not really sure the lines are being blurred. Let's come.
set our eyes on Jesus, the one who is worthy, the lamb who is slain. Jesus, we worship you this morning. desires that we have to exalt ourselves. Why would we exalt ourselves? Lord, in this moment, we say You are to be exalted. You are to be praised. We're at the back of the room, but we're just glad to be here, Lord. We're just glad to be in the room, in the presence of a King, Jesus. We set our eyes on You. We worship You. Let's sing. exalting themselves. The number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them I heard saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory, dominion forever and ever. Jesus, we are humbled in Your presence. You, you said, You said that as we draw near to You, You would draw near to us. And as we are in Your presence now, You've drawn near. You've, you've drawn near to my heart. And Father, we are so humbled. 
we allow the weight of Your holiness to exalt our being. It's Your weight that gives our lives meaning and existence. It's Your glory and Your holiness that that makes sense of why we're in the room because there is nothing like it. It is great. It's worth living a thousand lives over and over and over just to know Your glory, just to know more of Your greatness and Your holiness. And so Father, we exalt You. We exalt You, Father. Sing that, let's exalt Him. Forgive us, Lord, when we've pursued things other than You first and foremost, Lord, because it's You that we need. It's You that our heart desires. And as we put You first, Lord, everything else begins to fall into its rightful place. And I pray Your blessing over marriages this morning. I pray Your blessing over families, Lord. We need Your help. We need Your help, Lord. Help us to keep laying our lives down, putting others ahead of ourselves, just as You did, Lord Jesus. And thank You, Lord, that You have made a way for us to be reconciled to our Heavenly Father so that we can then share this same love and grace to those around us. We pray for our community, Lord, so full of conflict and so full of people seeking their own desires above the others around them. Lord, may this message that we have help it to go deep into our hearts so that when we are able to take this message, which will transform this community, your great love for us. And so, Lord, help us, bless us, lead us this week. The little things and the big things, Lord, these decisions we make, help us be followers of you, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' Name. Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer, some of our prayer to me down the front, they'd love to pray for you. Just come and grab a seat down here. Don't forget our Connections Lounge up the back corner there is opening up in just a moment. You're so welcome to head there. 
if you're new and tea and coffee in the courtyard. But God bless you. Thanks so much for sharing with us today.